Green Pastures are the weekly devotions published by Vineyard Boise, consisting of four parts, the reading, the reflection, the question, and the prayer. Green Pastures for Thursday, February 9th. The Ninevite Revolution. Today's scripture reading is found in Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 9 from the King James Version, which reads, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? This is God's word. Elijah and Elisha, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Zechariah, Peter and John, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, Dwight L. Moody, Billy Sunday and Billy Graham. I'm imagining a great eternal cloud of witnesses gathered around and watching this unfolding Jonah story as the ultimate revival sweeps, not through Jerusalem or Constantinople or Rome or even America's heartland, but through, of all places, Nineveh, and through, of all people, the flighty bird of a prophet, Jonah, who didn't even want it to happen. No press, no public media, no social media, no stadiums, no circus tents, no arenas, no megachurch platforms, no signs or wonders, well, except for the beached, bleached prophet himself. Just That lone, beached and bleached, flighty bird of a prophet with a five-word, eleven-syllable message that he belted out like Barry McGuire with his raspy voice, singing that ever-inspirational 60s ballad, Eve of Destruction. And the city converts all of them, bottom to top. Please catch that, bottom to top. Jonah didn't go to the top, saying as he entered Nineveh, take me to your leader, and thus secure an interview with the Assyrian king, whom he persuaded to enact religious and social reforms that would then filter down through the populace, sparking a revival that would spread far and wide. No, Jonah just breached and then preached. He breached the city gates and then preached his five-word, eleven-syllable, eve of destruction message and in so doing, kicked over a domino that unleashed a whole train of great awakening dominoes that roared on ahead of him from the least to the greatest, from the gutter to the ivory palaces of Assyrian royalty. And this is where I see that great eternal cloud of witnesses gasping in unbelief. What just happened? So many of these courted kings and queens and dined and prayed with presidents and justices, patiently performed signs and wonders and preached for hours on end, day in and day out, after praying for up to ten days in upper rooms waiting for the spark. 
And while a king like Uzziah or Hezekiah or Josiah could issue edicts and clean out temples and burn idols and proclaim fasts and launch public festivals and celebrations, they couldn't change the basic character of people, leading to this divine evaluation of the best of those revivals and awakenings. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is merely based on rules taught and enforced by human hand. This is what happens when all you have access to are the higher levels of government. Rules taught by men. Royal edicts banishing this and commanding that as the population doffs its collective cap, murmuring, Yes, my lord. And as soon as the leader passes, back we go to where we have inwardly always been. Church historians count four great awakenings. The first great awakening from 1730 to 1755, the second great awakening from 1790 to 1840, the third great awakening from 1855 to 1930, and the fourth great awakening from 1960 to 1980. So how do you measure the impact of an awakening? Number of hands raised, pledges signed, prayers uttered, pews filled. The fact is, if I may play the cynic for just a moment, none of these prevented violent and bloody revolutions or sweeping injustice or brutal regimes or holocausts or lynchings or world wars or atomic bombs. To what extent are all such awakenings a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing? We will no doubt go to the mat insisting it's not so with these awakenings. But the divine verdict in Isaiah is nodding its approval when it came to the awakenings of Hezekiah and Josiah's day. And then there's that of this beached and bleached flighty bird of a prophet who didn't even want his nor did he labor for it, nor did he stay to nurture and fan it into flame. And what a flame it was, exhibiting not mere sound and fury signifying nothing, but rather awaiting the sound of a rushing of a mighty wind to fill its streets and halls and walls, ushering in kingdom come beneath the sulking brow of the angry prophet who set this Ninevite revolution in motion as the great eternal cloud of witnesses shakes its collective head in stunned amazement. So, as we pause for a moment of personal reflection and prayer, ponder, so just how do you measure the impact of an awakening or a revival culturally, collectively, individually? Lord, I confess I regularly underestimate you, your power, your grace, your creative imagination, your resolute determination to see blessing flourish as far as the curse is found, to turn wasteland into wonderland, to transform condemned prisoner 24601 into Jean Valjean, Nineveh into New Jerusalem, dark humanity into revitalized divine image bearers through the most unlikely of message bearers. Let me more than believe it. Let me become a holy instigator of kingdom come.
right here in my Nineveh through your mercies.